Thank you, Joy, for sharing your story. Why didn't you invite me to church? My daughter and I definitely would have joined you. Those words, ah, they're haunting, aren't they? Thanks, Joy, for sharing that, and thank you, Heather, for being our collector of stories. I want to bridge if I can. It's summertime, but let's bridge our spring and our fall that's coming up. It's definitely summer, first of all. My goodness, last night, uh, I tend to go to bed a little early on Saturday night because I have a gig on Sunday morning. And, uh, oh, I don't know what I was dreaming about, but about 10, maybe 10.30, I set up bolt right in bed. I heard the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, and I didn't know if I should put my hand over my heart or duck and cover, but oh my goodness, that, that woke me up. Listen, I hope you have an incredible 4th of July celebration with family and friends, and I hope you don't burn your fingers too much on the sparklers. So springtime, we talked about uh, hashtag Hoosier One. Perhaps you saw, you saw the t-shirt that uh, Evan was wearing this morning. This fall, we're going to do a spiritual growth journey called One Life. You have one life to invest. Who's your one life that you're investing in? Between now and then, we do want to collect some of those stories. We want to celebrate stories. Maybe it's a missed opportunity. Maybe it's a win. God's kingdom has grown through your experience and sharing your life with somebody. If that's you, if I just described you, if you're at all willing to kind of tease that out and let us talk to you and learn your story better, please come see Heather or grab one of us on staff. We'll point you toward Heather. All right. We are week two this week in our 316 series. We're going to look at all these 316s in the Bible, skipping over the most obvious one that many of us have memorized from John. Uh, last week, we, we dived in on that. We're going to continue in that this week. We're looking at not just at 316s through the Bible, but we're also going to be looking at our, our core values, Venture's core values tied, each one of them, to a 316 in the Bible. There's a reason for this. Part of the goal of this series is that these values, Venture's core values, they're not new. They're timeless. We live by them today just like our spiritual forefathers did. So 316, this series, it's aiming at the totality of Scripture. Last week, we were in the book of 1 Samuel. This week, we're in the New Testament. Let me show you how this fits in the totality of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. It's timeless. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that... By it, you may, here's our goal, grow up in your salvation. We want this summer to be a maturing process. As we look at our core values, we're aiming at that. We're also aiming at unity. Why? Because disunity is a mark of an immature believer. 1 Corinthians talks about this in chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. This is Paul saying, all y'all. I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So we're going to look at these core values and let's get united together. This is who we are. These are the hills we choose to die on. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, well, 
they've ratted you out. There was a problem in the church in Corinth. There's a problem probably in every church. So every once in a while, it's time to come back and make sure there's no quarrels among us. These are our core values. These are the hills we choose to die on. These are ventures, core values. Again, each one of them is tied to a 316. Last week, we were in 1 Samuel. We looked at our core value of prayerful dependence on God. This week, we're skipping ahead to the New Testament, Mark 3.16. We're going to be talking about genuine hospitality. We're going to link that story that Joy shared with the idea of opening up your home. How does evangelism and hospitality, how are they intertwined? How does growing and loving together and other people coming into the church, how is this all a part of genuine hospitality? Next week, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy, biblical authority. Then the following week, we're going to be looking at our value of outward-focused impact. We'll end our series in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible with continued spiritual growth. Let's talk about genuine hospitality. A couple of things here. When I think about genuine hospitality, it's literally in these carefully chosen words that are a part of this core value of our church. The first word you see there is genuine. This is woven not just into our core values, This is woven into even our mission statement, what we're aiming at. We here at Venture seek to be real people, genuine hospitality, real people, loving courageously, sharing generously, speaking truthfully. But we're the kind of people here at Venture, we we mow our own grass. Did you know that? We have a, a team of people out here who mow the grass and keep these grounds looking beautiful. We roll up our sleeves. We want to be real people, genuine people, the kind of people we're not putting on airs. My house is dirty sometimes, and so is yours sometimes. We're a family of God, right? So the word genuine. Then the second word there is the word hospitality. This actually links very well to our vision statement here at Venture, where we're calling everyone, not just those who are already a part of our church, but everyone to Venture Home, where we seek Jesus. What we do seeking Jesus is the first and the last thing we want to do, and it's everything. We're all about Jesus. And as we do that, we also want to see others, to really see people, genuine people, calling other people to venture home through a lens of hospitality. Can you see how that's woven all together there? If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you please go ahead and open it up to Mark 3, 16. Keep your Bible open as we look through that whole chapter today. If you want to track along in that Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you, I'm on on page 1004 in that Bible, 1004. Mark 3, 16. Are you ready? Here it is. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. I know what you're thinking right now. Stan, that's that's it? Like, that's the verse we're aiming at. Yes. There is a lot here to unpack. Not just here, but what's immediately before and what is immediately after it. Actually, all of these 316s, we don't want to just pluck it right out of Scripture. There are, actually, there are some principles. I want to stretch this out, actually. This would be another sermon series at some point. But there are some basic Bible study principles. When you open your Bible tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you dive into God's Word, anytime you study Scripture, there are some basic principles that you want to live by. First of all, here's one. You want to identify what you're reading, the type of literature that it is. For example, we don't grab most 
of our theology from the Psalms. We interpret the Psalms and the Proverbs a bit differently because there's a lot of emoting, a lot of poetic language there. So it's pretty important that you recognize the type of literature because the Bible is filled with a whole bunch of times. There's narrative, there's prophecy, there's poetry, there's history, there are the Gospels, there are these epistles or letters that Paul writes and other New Testament writers write. So you should identify what type of literature it is first because that shapes how you read it and how you interpret it. Then also, we study Scripture by other Scripture. We don't just grab a verse and jerk it out of context. Rather, what does the rest, the totality of Scripture, have to say about that verse? This is pretty important as we grab these verses, these 316s. Let's study. You're going to see us do this today, Scripture by other Scripture. Here's another Bible study principle. We read for plain and obvious meaning. If the Bible says it clearly, we're just looking for that immediately. Like the Ten Commandments, it says, don't steal. That's pretty obvious. Don't covet. That's pretty obvious. Don't cheat on your wife or your husband. That's pretty obvious. Don't make another God before God. No graven image, no idolatry. That's pretty obvious. So we're looking for plain and obvious things. But sometimes we have to look underneath the text a little bit. So here's another principle. We're looking for the author's intention, who originally wrote that, like The Old Testament, the first five books, Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. God wrote them and spoke them through Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Who was Moses aiming at? And kind of what was the intention for sharing these? And that helps us unpack and understand the text a little bit deeper. Here's another principle. We study language. Sometimes it's an ancient book written in ancient cultures, and sometimes it's important to unpack a Hebrew word or a Greek word, and sometimes occasionally we'll do that together even. Last but definitely not least, as we talk about these 316s, we study the context. What's before and after a particular Bible verse? This 316, there's a whole lot before and there's a whole lot afterwards that when we grab that and we wrap our arms around the totality of this passage, it has an awful lot to say about genuine hospitality, especially when we study Scripture by other Scripture, we see this and it kind of leaks through the text. Here's our verses together. Let's go back to verse 13 if you want to read along with me. Mark 3, 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. We're going to unpack some of this. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to to, to do what? To preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed, and then it lists them. Can you imagine having your name listed in the Bible? Can you imagine being one of these 12 guys that Jesus poured his very life into, genuine hospitality, for three years? Simon, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, and we all know what happened to him. I want to pray real quick, and then we're going to unpack this text together. God, as we open up your word, and we seek to apply this to our lives, not just this day, but the lives that we get to live for you as we seek to live our lives out loud for you through these core values of our church, God, I pray that you reveal truth to us today. Speak through your words, these ancient words that are still fresh and real and meaningful today. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
There are six words, you might have just seen them as we read through here, six genuine hospitality words that I just want to take the rest of our time together and simply unpack and seek if we can apply this to our lives today. Six genuine hospitality words. Here's the first one. Jesus called. Did you see that? Did you notice that in the text? Jesus called. Here it is in the text. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called. I spent some time this spring uh, out in the turkey woods. I did some turkey hunting. And I don't know if you've ever done this before or if you've ever talked to somebody who's done this. What's so exciting about turkey hunting is that you're talking to the birds. You literally make a call that sounds like a gobbler and then a gobbler answered. Or, or you make a call that sounds like a hen squawking and then the gobbler answers that. It's pretty exciting to be talking to a wild animal like that. I grew up on a, working on a farm, and I don't know what it is about hog farmers and this word, but it seems like every hog farmer I ever talked to, there's a word that they use. I have no idea where it comes from, and I have no idea what it means, but the word is suey. And you call out, suey, suey. And these, these hogs, they're not pets. But they're like, like domesticated, but, but they're not pets. And they come to that call because they've associated that word with food. Jesus calls. You have ears to hear his voice. And when he calls, do you respond? Here's a great question to ask. As Jesus is calling you today, well, what's he calling me toward? What is it that Jesus is calling me? What is my life's purpose? What is this thing? This is why we're unpacking these core values because we need to be aligned with our God. What's he calling me toward? Maybe a better question to ask would be, who? Who is he calling me toward? You heard Joy's story a bit ago. Is there somebody in your life? He's given you the opportunity to be, to be genuinely hospitable toward them. Why? Because Jesus is calling you to have an impact on that person. Are you responding to that? Maybe the question isn't so much who. Maybe he's already answered that or he's in the process of revealing that to you. The question is, well, it's just a matter of obedience, right? He's already said that. He's calling you toward himself. He's calling you toward Jesus, but he's also calling you toward others, Jesus called. What else do we see in this passage? We see that Jesus wanted. Oh, I love that word. Jesus wanted, in this case it was the disciples. Jesus went up on the mountainside, here's the text, and he called to him those he wanted. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God wants me. There's something in that that fulfills a deep, even primal longing in my heart that God has hardwired me with, and I hope and I, I pray that you feel the same way. Jesus wants you. He loves you. He's been chasing you down his entire life. And by the way, he wants you even after he's captured your heart for eternity. He wants you in some capacity in his kingdom service. He wants you to be a part of advancing by genuine hospitality, his kingdom, moving it forward. We talked about the context here, right? He only called 
12 to be apostles. But let's go ahead and take this and let's study Scripture by other Scripture. Let's see how God calls. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Okay, we, let's stop right there for a second. I think a lot of times we tend to look at that and we say, oh, that's the job description of the church. That's who God is calling. Huh. If you keep reading and you unpack the text a little bit, even in the language here as we study this, those folks have a job description to call it out of the saints. He gave himself, these people, to equip his people for works of service. Our job is to equip the body to do great things for God. And I would argue that he uses genuine hospitality to advance his kingdom forward so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Remember, we're aiming at this, this idea of growing up spiritually, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ that we will no longer be infants. Grow up in your salvation is another way to say that. Peter said that in 1 Peter chapter 2. We just read that, that verse. Okay, so Jesus called. Jesus wanted. Praise God, he wants us. What else? What other word do we see here? Jesus, he appointed. Let's read it, right? What does the text say? He appointed 12. He appointed 12. And then that verse goes on, and it starts to list them. And we just read this, and first of all, it lists Peter. Why is Peter oftentimes listed first in these lists of the New Testament, of the leaders of the early church? Well, it's because he kind of became the point leader. After Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, rose from the grave, and then he ascended into heaven. After that moment, Jesus, or Peter stood up and preached a powerful sermon. The, the church is birthed. And Peter becomes the mover and shaker, the leader of this movement early on. Why? Well, because he was gifted that way. But more than that, because Jesus had called this out of him. Perhaps you remember that story where Jesus is looking at Peter and he says to Peter, on this rock, that's what Peter means, on this rock I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against her. We talked about context just a little bit ago. We talk about the context of the Bible. You don't want to jerk a verse out of context by Scripture. But also there's a context of the original culture that it's spoken in. When Jesus spoke these powerful words to Peter, they're literally in a place called Caesarea Philippi. They're literally standing in front of a place that was known by the ancients as the gates of Hades. They believed that this was an entrance to the underworld. And standing in that powerful place, Jesus says, the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I plan to plant through you, Peter. I'm calling you out toward this. I'm appointing you toward this. That's so encouraging for me today. I don't know about you, but if you feel like, oh, there's culture wars out there and is the church, oh, are we holding our own? Listen, hell has gates. Gates are a defensive posture. Church, are we storming the gates of hell? Are we seeking to take ground Jesus is very clear here when he calls Peter, charge the gates of hell. As you plant and God's church grows, I want you to use this as an offensive force moving God's kingdom forward. Maybe we should define 
the church, right? Peter, Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. What is God's church? You see, there's this tension between genuine hospitality and I would argue evangelism. Sometimes if we take genuine hospitality to its nth degree, to the extreme, it can actually hurt evangelism because we get really good at loving each other well. Here's the tension we're aiming at. It's genuine hospitality, that's what we're about, but we are genuine hospitality on mission. Every congregation could profit by asking the question, if our church were to disappear tomorrow, would anybody miss it? If the only ones who would miss it are those on the inside of the church's walls, that's a problem. I often think about this story. I've shared it before, but I, it bears coming back and talking about it often. It's a great metaphor. My family, about a, a year ago, were visiting some lighthouses up in the main part of our country. Here we are, kind of climbing, goofing off. This is one of my boys and I goofing off on this lighthouse, and it's a pretty lighthouse, and it's become kind of a museum. And this is a metaphor that reminds me of the church. There's a story about a life-saving station that was doing good work. There were ships that were going down at night at sea and in storms, and the life-saving station was poised to get into rowboats and to row out and save those that were being lost. But after a time, genuine hospitality, well, they, they really enjoyed being together, and so they kind of redecorated the place, and they set up social functions that were for those already saved, those who were inside the life-saving station. They redecorated the place, and they set up committees, and there were good systems in place, and they got really well at loving each other, and they kind of forgot that they were there for those who were being lost. Well, some folks noticed that. They split off and they set up another light-saving station just down the coastline. And for a while, they were after this, but after a time, well, I'll just read it. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved in a, into a club, and yet another life-saving sta station was founded. History continues to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in these waters, but most of the people drown. May we never become like the life-saving stations in this story. As his church, Jesus has commissioned us to make more and better disciples. This is our mission. It always has been, and it always will be. We have to guard ourselves from becoming too comfortable with how God is working inside the church that we neglect our responsibility to rescue those that are outside the church. Jesus was very clear when he had this conversation with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. He said, for the Son of Man, he's describing himself, came to seek and to save that that was lost. And I would argue he calls us to the same mission as well because Jesus appointed, listen, You've been appointed to your specific community, to your specific time, to your specific place. Listen, you've been appointed as a lifeguard. You might think you chose your church. No. God chose your church. He's put you here for a reason, to be on mission. And I might submit to you one of those reasons is to practice genuine hospitality. Here's the deal. The church is not yours. We don't think in terms of it's my seat. We don't think in terms of it's my parking lot. 
Actually, I was thinking about this the other day, not long after I came to Venture, about three years ago. It was summertime, and my family and I were on a brief trip, like an overnight trip. I think we were in southern Indiana. I don't remember exactly where we were, but we were in a hotel room. Dawn's scrolling through Facebook, and she came across a post, and she said, oh, Stan, you need to know about this. We hadn't been here but just a couple of months. Somebody was on one of those Facebook community pages, and they had tagged or mentioned our church by name. They were our guests that day. Their family was here, and I don't remember the whole story exactly, but I think the husband was wearing a T-shirt, and one of us approached him in the parking lot. Something to the tune, it wasn't very hospitable. I don't like your shirt, or I don't agree with your shirt. I, I don't know what it was. But the wife had taken to Facebook and was kind of blasting our church. And honestly, the way she was phrasing it, we sure did, in the court of public opinion, We did not sound very hospitable. I reached out to her by private message and tried to patch things up and tried to pour some genuine hospitality on top of what was already kind of a damaged story. But, oh, my goodness, church, be so careful how you act, what you do. You represent Jesus. Listen, every Christian What if everyone who called Venture their church home, what if when you come here to worship on a Sunday morning, if you come saying, listen, I come for the sole purpose of worshiping God. That's why I'm here. But also, somewhere right behind that, I come for the person, I'm here today for the person who is not here yet. The church might be the only organization in the world like a life-saving station. We exist for those who are not here yet. Listen, this gathering is supernatural. If you treat this day today as commonplace, (laughs) you're doing it wrong. You're a worship leader. It begins with self-worship. As you prepare yourself and you come to church on a Sunday morning, have you prepared your heart and mind to meet the creator God of the universe and to worship him, to pour your guts out before him? If you believed you were walking into the presence of God, I submit you would act differently here. And I also submit that you would act differently toward others, practicing genuine hospitality. If you really believed you're coming here to meet God, wouldn't that affect how you treat one another, and even guests in the parking lot. I uh, watched a message this past week I saw several years ago, a talk given by Horst Schulze. He's the CEO of the Ritz-Carlton organization, massive hospitality. They're an amazing, like, four- or five-star hotel. I don't think I've ever stayed in one. He has this phrase that he repeated over and over again. I love this. Ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It's kind of the idea, here's the service desk. You've got some people behind the service desk that are working full time, but with a smile, they're leaving, leading and loving the folks who are the ladies and gentlemen on the other side of the desk. I love that image. And he went on and he talked about, he had multiple tips for hospitality. Now, I wonder if we're thinking like this when we come to worship on a weekend. He said that hospitality oftentimes begins with a great greeting. Do we do this and do we do it well? He talked about how the first 10 seconds is essential. Eye contact and a smile and a genuine welcome, genuine hospitality within the first 10 seconds. Actually, he's German. He kept saying meters uh, 10 meters distance when, some, when somebody's in, anywhere inside of 10 meters or 10 yards. You should greet them with a smile. You should look at them and give them eye contact. Great greeting. 
Then he went on to say, are we about meeting needs? Are we about meeting wishes? The hotel industry, it's easy to think about great customer service there, right? But do we think that way here as well? Is our lobby neat? Are we viewing this through the lens of excellence? Are we seeking to love on people well with a clean building and with the genuine hospitality and everything and how we host? And great farewells, he talked about. We send people off well. We want them to leave wanting more. He said that hospitality isn't hard. It's all about human dignity. It's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Listen, whether it's the restaurant or in our lobby, are we practicing genuine hospitality? Jesus has appointed me as his ambassador. He's appointed you as well. The question we have to ask ourselves is, am I genuinely hospitable? Okay, so Jesus called, he wanted, he appointed, and then he togethered. That's right, I made up a word. He togethered. Here's what the text says. They came to him, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. I made a word up, but can you think of a better one word action verb to describe what Jesus did here? Three years of togetherness. What happened inside of those three years that literally lit the match, that sparked a flame, that changed the entire world? We talked about the context of the verse. The context of the verses we just read, there was intense life together, lived for three years. This is genuine hospitality. Have you ever heard the phrase, refrigerator rights? Do you have people inside your life that have refrigerator rights that you wouldn't think it was weird if you walked into your living room or your kitchen after a hard day of work and you found them in there helping themselves to what's in the refrigerator? We had neighbors like this across the street years ago. And uh, if Mark or Christy or especially their girls, they were always in our home. If I came home and I saw Gracie standing in front of the refrigerator door like every kid does, letting the cold air out, I'd probably tell her to close the door because, you know, we were parenting her as well. But I wouldn't think anything of it. She belongs here. She has refrigerator rights in our home. The disciples did intense life like that together with Jesus for three years, three years of an itinerant lifestyle where they were traveling together. I just wonder, I wonder how many incredible campfire conversations happened, the disciples together with Jesus. I went on a trip this past week, just overnight, real quick, we did a 14-mile backpacking loop with one of my boys. And we set up late one night around the campfire. I grabbed my phone, and I pulled it out and recorded it. There's something, there's something primal about a fire, isn't there? I mean, you just kind of stare at it. It's mesmerizing, and after a while, it kind of loosens up the tongue, and you start talking. We had this incredible conversation for like 30 minutes about intelligent design. God, the creator God of the universe, we see his creative fingerprints everywhere in the systems of the body and in chloroform out in the trees, chlorophyll. And and we we see in in all the things in nature. And the whole next day as I was hiking, I kept thinking about that conversation and that powerful conversation around a campfire. I just wonder how many of those conversations the disciples had with Jesus, genuine hospitality, refrigerator rites, doing life together. I bet they heard some gentle instruction I, heard, I bet they heard some gentle coaching. Like, what if you tried to do it like this? They heard some admonishment. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan? You're trying to rescue me from death, but you don't understand that my death is about your salvation for life for forever. 
Right behind that, he said, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow after me. There was some admonishment probably that happened around the campfire. There was modeling. For three years, these guys had a front row seat to the raising of Jairus' daughter and some incredible miracles like that. They had a front row seat to servant leadership. Here's the question. What if this is less of a model for discipleship? What if it's more of a lifestyle that he's calling us into? John chapter 13 The night that he's betrayed, the night before the crucifixion, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. I love this. You might notice this space right here. There's another translation for what this would be, loved them to the very end. You could translate it this way. He showed them the full extent of his love. And then the text goes on to describe this is how he showed them the full extent of his love. Genuine hospitality. He washed their stinky feet. He grabbed a basin and a towel and he washed their feet. Modeling servant leadership. Here's the question. Whose feet need washed by your hands today? Whose feet Maybe metaphorically speaking, your hands doing the washing because you never know when it's needed. You never know. Hebrews chapter 13 says it this way, don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have even welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. God uses genuine hospitality to love people into his kingdom. Real quick, let me hit you with four practical ways to show genuine hospitality. Here's one. Welcome everyone you meet. I mean this literally and figuratively. Extend a kind word to everyone you meet, but also share your time, your energy, and your life with others, especially those who need you maybe more than you need them. Jesus welcomed strangers and outcasts. You could read this all through the New Testament. Are you really doing that? Are you welcoming everyone you meet? Here's the second practical way. Engage almost everyone you meet. Now, I say almost because you don't want to be weird. Sometimes it's just weird. Don tells me sometimes when I'm talking to a stranger, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're coming on a little strong right now. So maybe just engage most people, most everyone that you meet. Engage them. Really get to know them. Invest a little bit into their life. Be hospitable. Number three, make meals a priority. Are you really leveraging the power of meals in your life right now? Are you taking a coworker to lunch every once in a while just for the opportunity to get to know them a little bit, to invest in their story? Maybe one of these days you'll be able to share with them your story and how Jesus has changed your story. You invite people into your home to share a meal together. Is there a neighbor somewhere around you? You need to invest in them. There's genuine hospitality opportunities there My goodness, the 4th of July weekend, I bet there are some opportunities to do that even today. Number four, pay attention. Really lead in to their stories. Really listen. Pay attention. Jesus called, Jesus wanted, Jesus appointed, and Jesus togethered. Jesus also sent. Here's our text. He appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might, this is why he's doing it, so he can send them out. So that, 
This is the end goal, to send them out. Genuine hospitality should yield outward-focused impact. Do you view yourself as sent? Outside the walls of the church? How about inside the walls of the church? Genuine hospitality extends everywhere, outside and inside. Jesus sent. Could I challenge you? Bring the outside inside. If you have a heart to push Jesus' kingdom forward outside, maybe even do it here. We have oftentimes people who come to this church and they're seeking to know more of God simply by practicing genuine hospitality with and to them, by welcoming them well in this space, by welcoming them well out here or even in the parking lot, you have the opportunity to woo them into God's kingdom, bring the outside inside because this is for everyone. What he's called us to, this is for everyone. Okay, so Jesus called, he wanted, he appointed, he togethered, he sent, last but definitely not least, Jesus empowered He empowered, here's the text, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. They have authority. By the way, don't hyper-focus here on the power. Rather, live out the job description. Jesus has empowered you to be his hands and his feet. Jesus is our spiritual, and he's our social example. The question we must ask ourselves is whether or not we're practicing Jesus-like ministry. Many people see Jesus as a a personal moral example, rightfully so, but maybe not as a social example. But why not? When you become a Christian, your social life, oh my goodness, how you interact with others, that should change as well. Do you have a reputation for hanging out with a shady company for the purpose of showing them God's grace? Genuine hospitality. Do we live that value out both inside the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church? Let me wrap up with this. Jesus launches a kingdom here on earth to extend his kingdom to eternity into heaven. It's so interesting to me that his kind of his coming out speech, his kind of declaring to the world that who he is is who he is, is at a party wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And he gives us a glimpse there of the ultimate party to come. Happiness and joy and fellowship and sweet communion with the king awaits the bride of Christ in heaven for eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, I love this. Paul tells us that we were formerly foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near, how? By the blood of the Messiah. You were far away. Genuine hospitality is extended to you and you're brought near. That's not just for us. This is for everyone what do we say? Jesus is our spiritual and he's our social example. Are you practicing genuine hospitality in your life? Are you leveraging that as an opportunity to be winsome so that all people see Jesus in and through you? Would you stand up with me? I want to send us out with a prayer, and I want to send us out with a blessing. It is a holiday weekend, after all. There are opportunities literally in front of our church today.
and tomorrow. To be Jesus' hands and to be his feet. And it's so important because there's a world out there that is desperate to see him. May he see himself. May they see Jesus in and through us as we live out this core value of our church well. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your 316s. I thank you for your Bible. And I thank you for an opportunity not just to read it and to study it, but to be changed by it. And I pray that this day, as we leave, as we go out, as we have fun, as we celebrate, God, I pray that um, we leak this core value to all who see us. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.